As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. One, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Three, you will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions and must be 21 or older to wager. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., New York, or Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Nevada, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona, 1-800-327-369. 5050 in Massachusetts, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, and 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan, in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,500 first bet offer today. First team all MLB. We've got three managerial hirings to talk about. We did second team on Monday, and now we do the first team on Wednesday, November 8th. Jack McMullen, Peter Apple, Just Baseball Show. Peter's going to give you the MGM spiel in a moment. Um, Carlos Mendoza was hired as the manager of the New York Mets. Steven Vogt gets his first managerial job uh, as the manager of the Cleveland Guardians. And I want to spend some time on the Greg Council thing because I'm fascinated by it. And Snakey... There's some precedent to this with that organization. But then we give you the best guy at each position in Major League Baseball this year. But Peter, I keep forgetting who we're sponsored by. It's an absolutely loaded show brought to you by the King of Sportsbooks, and that is BetMGM. Sign up and deposit into your newly created account using promo code JustBaseball. Download the BetMGM Sports app on iOS or Android or visit BetMGM.com. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if it loses. If the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Must be 21 or older, and terms and conditions apply. Before we get into the managers, first off, I'm glad to be back. Whenever it's been almost a week since I've done a podcast, I always miss it. I love talking to you. I love talking to Aram. Do you have withdrawals? I was listening. Excuse me? Do you have withdrawals? A little bit. Got it. But Aram said on yesterday's show, or that was Monday's show, whatever day it is. Now, we're in the offseason, so it's it's all a fugazi. Yeah. He beautifully illustrated a very nice point that this is a discussion. It's about what you value in a player. And, you know, he hit all the marks. He said everything that you should. 
but unfortunately, he's wrong. But he is right because all of us came to these guys and they are the correct answer. So there isn't really much of a debate here. These are the players. We said two plus two equals four. If anybody has any disagreements, you can say two plus two equals five. But as we know, it's not five. So I'm excited to know all the answers to the test. I thought I would just let the people know that these are the right answers and I'm proud of us. With that being said, you texted me last night about the first position that we're going to talk about. And you were like, I have to be mad about this. one. <laughs> well, I had to figure out something, but okay. I did more research and I tend to agree with our selections now, but I did have one disagreement, which I'm excited to talk about. But other than that, it's it's perfect. Yeah. Accompanying article is live at JustBaseball.com, by the way. Um, Fink, Ryan Finkelstein, our managing editor, and I just kind of bang that thing out. And uh, you can almost read along as you listen to this if you want, or you get it in podcast form here. And if you do want to see the numbers and use it as a reference point throughout the offseason, uh, go ahead and find that at JustBaseball.com. Let's start with the Mets, because twofold news thing early this week. They hire Carlos Mendoza, who was Aaron Boone's bench coach in the Bronx for the last four years. Now he switches boroughs, and he is the manager of the Mets in Queens. He's going to have a battery Atlanta-adjacent thing in Queens that he will roll up to every day when he goes to work. Steve Cohen just pledged, what, an $8 billion complex outside City Field that's going to go up? Is he made of money? I guess. Hedge funds. Shout out him. Shout out hedge funds. Shout out Steve Cohen. Um, I think Mets fans are a little bit upset with him right now, at least those who are chronically online, um, because they did not get Craig Council, and they hired Carlos Mendoza, and he's coming over from the Yankees, and a lot of people don't know much about him. Um, but just adding on to the Steve Cohen, I'm trying to find um, – yeah, so New York Mets owner Steve Cohen unveils $8 billion, 50-acre investment around City Field. will include a Hard Rock Hotel and Casino and Sportsbook Restaurants, Bars, and a live music venue. Uh, this is from Darren Ravel. Also, 20 acres of public park space. So as a New York resident, someone who lives uh, relatively close to City Field, I'm excited. Uh, but let's talk about Carlos Mendoza. So, yeah, he spent four seasons as Aaron Boone's bench coach. Before that, he worked as the club's quality control and infield coach for two seasons. He was a minor league infield coordinator for five, a minor league manager for four seasons. He also coached for Venezuela in the WBC and in the Venezuelan Winter League. I thought it was an interesting hire because it's David Stern's first hire as a general manager. Right, because he didn't hire Craig Council when he was over there in Milwaukee. So this is the first manager hire that David Stearns has ever had. And I thought it was an interesting one because we're going to talk about the council situation and that the Mets made Craig Council an offer, but then the Cubs blew that offer out of the water and Council has Midwest ties. We're going to talk about all of that. But everything I hear, at least from Yankees people, you know, stuff that I read online, articles, is that Mendoza was one of the guys that, along with Stephen Vogt and Craig Council, was one of the top hires around the league, right? I know there's, you know, a lot of people out there want Joe Madden to come back, or could we possibly get Dusty Baker? Um, and there's a couple other ones, but 
Mendoza, it's not just the Mets not knowing what they're doing. I trust in David Stearns. I say this all the time on the podcast. People have been listening know. I trust the smart people. I trust the Dodgers when they acquire someone. I trust the Rays. I trust the Astros. I trust the Braves. I trust David Stearns. And I haven't heard one negative thing about Mendoza. He's one of these young up-and-comers, really good in the locker room. Like All the players tend to really like him, too. It's going to take a while. And Stearns and the Mets, they came out and said that we really want this guy to grow with our organization, which they haven't had a manager in a really long time stick for all that long. Like Buckshaw Walter was there for a couple of years, right? And they've had a couple other guys come in and out, but they haven't really had a mainstay. Their plan, at least right now, is for Carlos Mendoza to be a mainstay. So for all the Mets who are Mets fans who are chronically online and already hate the move, I understand the lack of trust, but you brought in one of the best general managers, arguably in sports. He's definitely up there in baseball. Yeah. And if you were making a top 10 throughout sports, he might be on that list. Let him cook. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. see how it goes because I haven't heard one negative thing about Mendoza and he has plenty of experience for a 43-year-old who I think will make good connections in the Mets locker room. We'll see. I didn't know much at all about Carlos Mendoza and strictly what I've learned is from like the newsers from MLB.com and the athletic and ESPN and the local beat like Tacomo did a great newser on this. And he mentioned since Terry Collins, Terry Collins was not long ago. Terry Collins was the manager for the Mets in the world series in 2015. Um, Since Terry Collins left, it's been Mickey Calloway, Carlos Beltran, who didn't manage a game. Luis Rojas and Buck Showalter. I feel like by age alone and by what I've read about rapport with players, they're looking for a Beltron adjacent hire where Beltron was just going to be a clubhouse guy, like good, has a beat, has like the heartbeat of the clubhouse at all times. And I feel like a 43-year-old is the right guy to do that in a big money 30-something clubhouse that the New York Mets have. Exactly. And that's all I read about him, right? Because – you know, I am a Yankee fan, so of course I'm watching all the Yankee games. You didn't know to... you didn't know the life and bio of your bench coach? I unfortunately didn't. I knew he was our bench coach. I knew I heard good things, but I didn't know much about him. You're so when I heard that he went to the Mets and he was leaving the Yankees, I was like, all right, I'm going to start doing some deep dives. So I read probably eight to ten different articles, truthfully trying to find something wrong with the man because I think it's hilarious to make fun of Mets fans. I do. I've always thought that when Ryan comes on the show, I love giving him shit. And I always think it's funny to make fun of the Mets. Is it low-hanging fruit? Sure. Am I still having fun doing it? Absolutely. But I couldn't find anything. Everything is very, very positive about the guy. That players universally like him. He has tons of experience for a guy that young. And he's a David Stearns hire. Mets fans, are you smarter than David Stearns? I know I'm not. A lot of so Mets fans gonna, are. A lot of yeah, Mets fans do believe that they are smarter than David Stearns. So I will say point. that. <laughs> I love Mets fans. Uh, um, Cleveland. Now, Steve, yeah. No, all I was going to say is if you are a Mets fan right now, let David Stearns cook. Don't rush to judgment like on a guy. Me. I know it's a first year. I know the lack of trust is there. But if David Stearns screws you, 
you might just be screwed forever because there's nobody else who can come in. You have a $10 trillion owner and arguably the best general manager of the sport. If they can't come to good decisions, yeah, you're probably cursed forever. So and might as well just buy it right now. Just some warning. Uh, the Mets brass has already told us that 2024 is going to be a rebuild and assessment year. So like when they win 70 games this coming year, 75 games, I don't want you coming for Carlos Mendoza's head. Uh, yeah, but we'll we'll see if that actually ends up happening. Yeah. Cleveland hired Steven Vogt, and it has not been a long journey from the playing career to the managerial spot in Cleveland. Steven Vogt retired after the 2022 season. Great video of him homering in his final major league at bat. Um, he was Seattle's bullpen and quality control coach this past year, and now he's hired as the 45th manager in Cleveland Guardians history. Stephen Vogt has no managerial experience, but he's one of those guys that I think everybody knows would be a good manager while they are playing. Everybody knew that about David Ross, like, oh, this guy's built like a manager. Um, James McCann, same shit was said about McCann and is said about McCann. It's like, this guy's built like a manager. Um, Stephen Vogt. Shout out out James McCann, went to my high school. I met him before. Great guy. That's awesome. Wow. Big ups for Peter. Um, Shout out James McCann. (laughs) Stephen Vogt is like one of those walking managers in waiting and it's really nice to have vote there who is not far removed from a playing career so his imprint on a bow nailer is going to be very apparent and, and my eyes are on bow nailer in 2024 how does or- vote impact nailer but there are 25 other guys on the roster and i think he's going to be a, a benefit to them kind of same thing young guy heartbeat of the clubhouse kind of an extension of it but just a little bit heightened in terms of professionalism he was gonna get a job it just happens to be cleveland's job yeah he's worked with tampa oakland milwaukee and atlanta he went to the postseason with the a's he's got a world series ring with the braves the focus for you is is uh helping bo naylor obviously managing the guardians but you made a point there more than adding christian bethcourt off waivers uh, did they add Bethancourt off waivers? They did. I thought it was that? a good move. Wait, so Bethancourt, Bethancourt and Mejia are not Rays anymore? How are they going to catch pitches? I don't know. I always thought they'd be Rays for life, even though Bethancourt, I what? think, was a Ray for like two years, maybe a year. No, I think it was a year. I, it might have yeah. been a year and a half. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I like the Bethancourt. But yeah, Stephen Vogt, like obviously we don't know much about him, but from everything, again, I read on him. Seems like the greatest guy to ever live. Yeah. I mean, the reports on him are just whenever he enters the clubhouse, everybody gravitates toward him immediately. He's just the nicest guy, can walk into any kind of atmosphere and just own it. Like, I'm not surprised at all that he was one of the top picks for a manager in this market when there are other good candidates, but he's the one without any experience. Like, Carlos Mendoza doesn't have any big league manager experience but he has experience managing like venezuela in the wbc he's, he's been the, a bench he's coach bench been... coach for aaron boone in new york exactly. like, that's as close to manager reps as you'll get exactly so steven vote having none of that and right he hit a home run not that long ago and now he's the manager but to move on from francona i thought it was so interesting because the guardians haven't had to hire a manager in a very long time so I was reading something that, you know, they asked Tito, you know, what are the good qualities of a manager? They 
you know, interviewed a bunch of other managers on existing teams from the athletic in order to, you know, just get a good grasp on what it takes to be a good manager because they've been spoiled with Terry Francona for over a decade uh, since 2012. So I thought the hiring process was really cool that all they could talk about when he walked into the room was that his personality was infectious and that they couldn't leave without making him the manager. Like I'm very, very excited for him as a person. And I'm excited for the guardians. If they go from Terry Francona and Steven vote works like they, it's hard to find consistency in the mar- managerial role like that. No, I mean, we just mentioned the turnstile that has been the New York Mets. And there are a lot of clubs that have had a turnstile at manager. And I think Cleveland's hoping that they don't. I love how they went in a different direction after Francona. Because if you try and find a replacement to Terry Francona, like if you try and find someone to replicate the impact on the clubhouse that Terry Francona does, you're shit out of luck. Because the only guy that can just won a World Series in Texas. And I promise you, Texas is his last job. Tito and Dusty Baker. Or Dusty Baker. He showed it's his last job. Yeah, it is his last year. He, Dusty retired. Like you, you could try and hire Joe Madden, but I just don't think just because they're both old no, doesn't mean they're the same. And, and you're the Cleveland Guardians. Like, try something new. Try something fun, like exciting. It's like hiring the innovative offensive coordinator after you've got this run and gun guy. Like, if Iowa got a Lincoln Riley disciple, they would be must watch football because it's <laughs> like, how does this work? Um, that's kind of how I, I look at the guardians here where it's like, all right, you're not getting anything close to Terry Francona. Do you want to, I don't know, try the 60 something that's on his fourth chance, or do you want to try someone new that can give you a youthful energy and, and just difference for a team that underperformed in 2023. And they went with the latter and I'm, I'm glad they did. I'm really glad they did because they easily could have gone with Buck Showalter, right? A guy who's been around the block 50 billion years would slide in perfectly, wouldn't need really much time for adjustment, and then they could hit the ground running. Now, will it succeed? Will it be something that you can build around for years? Probably not, right? Then you'd have to move on in another couple of years. Why not just get Steven Vogt in there and then see what you got? Because then, you know, you can always move off a manager for some reason. It doesn't work, but I have a good feeling about him. And maybe it's, I'm just buying into the personality, but he just seems, and every time you hear him talk too, it's just like, this guy's the best. He's the best. And and there's something about sports. And I know I'm not alone in this thought where it almost like gets me excited when I see somebody get their first chance, because there are so many guys around sports. It's not a baseball exclusive problem, but baseball, you really see it. There are so many guys that get fifth and sixth and seventh chances. It gets boring. And like, if it didn't work the first five times, why is it going to work the sixth? You had a year 15 years ago. Why are we doing this? Seeing somebody break through in any way, like, hey, do you want your team to sign Billy Hamilton as a fourth outfielder? Or do you want to try the guy that has a 900 OPS and AAA? Like, I'd rather see the guy get his first shot. And same goes for managers, same goes for head coaches in the NFL, same goes for head coaches in the NBA. Like, I just want to see guys get an opportunity to break through. And this is a a great example of a guy breaking through. That's why I think it's so funny, the Billy Martin thing in in New York. Dude, like he was brought back to New York like eight times. It was six or seven times. He was the manager of of the fucking Yankees. Can you imagine that happening right now? 
right? Like, if so, Billy Martin manager, like, if the Rangers fired Bochi and then brought it back, like, the middle of the year, he won another ring, then he fired him again. Like, that's that's how it was. It's just nuts. Billy Martin, the way that it's been, you know, explained to me is Billy Martin would wear out his welcome. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. Like, it's, I, okay. I think everybody hated him, but he kept winning. Right? I think Reggie Jackson despised the man. <laughs> hated him. You got you got to watch um, Fenway. Dog it's out. called Fenway. No, it's called Civil War. I think the uh, documentary on Netflix. It's the Yankees and Dodgers. It's like the story of them in the sixties and the seventies. You got to watch it on Netflix. I think it's on Netflix, HBO Max, on somewhere. It's such a good documentary. If you're a Yankee or a Dodger fan, must watch. If you're a baseball fan, definitely give it a try. I love it. One of the great butting heads moments in baseball history was Reggie Jackson and, if I'm not mistaken, Billy Martin in the dugout at Fenway after some. And they, like, nearly fought. Um, Last one is Craig Council. And you know I don't have much of a social life. Yeah, I mean. So here's what I did. <laughs> um, I read the article, great article on The Athletic by Patrick Mooney, Sahadev Sharma, uh, Tyler Kepner, and Ken Rosenthal. I think I got all four of the authors that you. contributed to that. Look at you. Okay, but like that's not the that's not the I have no social life thing. That's like, oh, I wanted to read about the hiring and, and the process there. You're a good person. Um, they mentioned that this has happened with the Cubs before. They have had a coach under contract that – they spurned for a free agent manager. They had a manager under contract that they spurned for a free agent manager. It happened when Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer were in tandem and they hired Joe Batten, whose contract expired in Tampa. They brought him in. He immediately won. Rick Renteria had just finished his first year as the manager of the Cubs and by no means did they underperform. So they opted to fire Renteria and immediately bring in Joe Madden. And here's where the no social life thing comes in. I went back and I read the ESPN article written by Jesse Rogers in 2014 when they hired Madden because I wanted mm-hmm. the quote from Theo because I had a feeling he was going to say like, yeah, this is pretty unprecedented. And I, I lucked out. This was the exact quote from Theo Epstein. Quote, last Thursday, we learned that Joe Madden, who may be as well suited as anyone in the industry to manage the challenges that lie ahead of us, had become a free agent, Epstein said. We saw it as a unique opportunity and faced a clear dilemma. Be loyal to Rick or be loyal to the organization. In this business of trying to win a world championship for the first time in 107 years, the organization has priority over any one individual. We decided to pursue Joe. He called it a unique circumstance. And less than a decade later, it's happening again. You've got a free agent manager. You've got a manager that had a shit September. He'll tell you that but had respect of all 26 guys in that clubhouse and everybody in that front office and is revered as a great guy in the media that you kick to the curb for a better manager. This doesn't happen often at all. Typically, managers will pursue open managerial positions. Craig Council said, I have chosen (laughs) where I want to coach, where I want to manage. And it's a place that already had a manager. So it's, hey, we found someone better. Thank you for your services, David Ross. It feels like a violation of the managerial bro code in some way. But the Cubs got one of the best managers in baseball, if not the best manager in baseball. Mm -hmm. Bochi. And like, it's tough. 
Yeah, <laughs> a top five manager in baseball, top three manager in baseball. They made him the highest paid manager in Major League Baseball history by uh, a lot. And they, Dude, by a lot. Bag. Yeah, eight a year, five year, $40 million contract. Oh. And they kicked David Ross to the curb. Was it a good decision in the interest of winning baseball games? Yes. Is that the only thing that matters? Quite frankly, yes. Did it feel slimy? Yes, it did. Did it feel slimy? Yes. You? Mm-hmm. See, I didn't think it felt slimy. And okay. I'll tell you why. Let's say there's a free agent pitcher on the market and you have a good number three, right? Because, and the reason I relate it to pitchers is because Craig Council is an ace. Craig Council is the Garrett Cole, the Sandy, the Wheeler, the whoever you want to name on the market. And you Kyle have a good number th- yeah, yeah, Kyle Bradish. Yeah. Yeah. And then David Ross is your Luis Severino is not a great uh he David Ross is your Jamison Tyone. David Ross, I didn't think was this great manager. I thought he had he made a lot of questionable decisions. There was a lot of pinch hitters that I didn't think should be pinch hitting. There was a lot of bunts that I didn't think should have been bunts. There was a lot of bullpen decisions I should I didn't think were great in the time. Like when I was watching Cubs baseball, and I felt like I was watching a lot of Cubs baseball this season, right? Because every Justin Steele start was must turn on. I felt like I was betting him on unders and whatever. Watched a lot of Cubs baseball, and I didn't think he was that great of a manager. Was he a bad manager? No. Do I think he is a World Series winning manager? No. Do I think he is a guy that you even get in the playoffs and I'm like, all right, you have to account for a guy like that? No, I don't. Now, could he get a job somewhere else? Prove me wrong? Absolutely, right? Because he's still relatively new. This is not a guy who's been a manager now for 20 years and we know exactly what he is. But in his first couple of stints, I didn't think he was that great. We wouldn't bat an eye if a guy like Jameson Tyone was kicked out of the rotation for another starter, but we are for managers because and because I think people hold these managers to a, a higher level when in reality, what Theo was saying was the manager is no different from a star player, right? And it's all about the organization winning games. So if David Ross isn't holding up his end of the bargain, and you have the best starting pitcher or best manager on the market, you are going to make the best move for your franchise. Does it stink because David Ross is a great guy? Obviously, like that makes it worse, right? It's not David Ross who's just a shithead where it's like, oh, then whatever. He's a great guy. So it stings. I didn't think it was slimy at all. I think that's just business. Like this is the business of baseball. It's business, um, and I entirely agree with you, and I would agree that it wasn't slimy if Tom Ricketts didn't say this, the owner of the Cubs. This is from the Athletic article. Is this tea? Are we spilling tea, as the kids say? I mean, like, Moody wrote it in the Athletic. (laughs) In what was supposed to be a transition year, the Cubs won 83 games, played an entertaining style of baseball, and remained in playoff contention until the final weekend of the season. During game... What? Cubs might have made the playoffs if they had Craig Council last year. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think that's a hot take. <laughs> okay. I think okay. They, he made some 
brutal decisions down brutal, the stretch. Brutal, right? Like, I was being nice. I felt like he made some brutal Dude, decisions. PCA sat. Canario sat. Like, the kids are going to play now. I get that Ross was going with a Mike Talkman over a Pete Crow Armstrong because he valued seniority, but like seriously, dude. Um, but this is the kicker during game 162 in Milwaukee, where the Cubs were eliminated, Cubs chairman Tom Ricketts praised Ross as quote, a great manager, and declared, quote, he's our guy. Ah. Ah. Well, yeah, that kind of negates everything, right? Yeah, I guess there's context to everything. Like, what was the question asked to him about that? Right, but you when know, the because owner, I went to the, the I went to the chairman, school of no. Go ahead, go ahead. No, when the owner and chairman says, "quote He's our guy," you expect not to be fired and replaced by another manager. I guess, but what else is he going to say? You know, we're we're keeping we'll our assess at season's end. There's so much yeah. coach speak, that but can then that means here. he is definitely fired. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's business. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's not the best look. I would love to hear the question that garnered that type of response, right? Because I went to the school of journalism. Um, No, you didn't. didn't. actually go to the school of journalism. (laughs) I'm saying I was taught journalism 101 when I kind of made fun of Merrill Kelly for talking about the World Baseball Classic right and how it compares to citizens bank park and that quote kind of took for a ride but you hear the question and he was mostly just like are you afraid of the crowd noise he's like no i've been in an environment did he word it correctly no so i'm curious what the question was yeah to garner a response of he's our guy like maybe they might ask oh are there any doubts with david ross you know what are your thoughts on david ross and he's like Instead of saying we're going to assess at season's end, meaning he is definitely 100% gone, because I think at season's end, they did not think that Craig Council was going to be a Chicago Cup, right? There was a great, again, that piece in The Athletic that you were referencing, Jed Hoyer has just had his eye on this guy. It's like a scout finding a player. Right, he gets drafted by a different team, and you just always have your eyes on him. You're like, as soon as that dude hits the open market, he's going to be our guy, and that's why the money just—it's crazy. It's a crazy because, amount of money. And Craig Council is a great manager. Great manager. Has is any manager worth eight mil a year? No, exactly. I don't. Think hasn't, so. hasn't won anything. Right, doesn't have a World Series. What do we say about the Brewers every year? And the quotes are always, "Well, he got the most out of the Brewers. He got the most out of the Brewers." Like the Brewers have great pitching. It's not like they just had shit on their team, right? Did he? Did he get a lot out of them? Absolutely. Is he going to come in and guarantee a Cubs World Series? Like he, he's not Bruce Bochy, right? Like he isn't. So he's a great manager who hasn't won anything yet, who has a lot of potential and could definitely win a World Series. And I wouldn't be surprised. But let's not pretend that they just got Shohei Otani. No, no, because that's what he was paid like. Jed Hoyer wants he was paid like the Otani of manager. He was paid an unprecedented figure. Got a back. He got a back. Five years, 40 million for a manager. It's crazy. It, crazy. That's absolutely crazy. And frankly, I disagree with it. Like, I think managers are are integral to the game. I think they are so important. But like eight mil a year? Really? Um, what I will but say I'm is actually, this. I'm glad that it sets a precedent, though, for future managers. Like, I hope they I, – I always hope, like, when things like this happen, we can say, oh, I wouldn't have paid that much. But in the back of both of our minds, arm shares this. We all share this. Get your back. 
We love guys getting paid in this business. It's awesome. So yeah. I'm happy that he did. Would I have done it? No, but am I happy that it then sets the precedent for future managers to be paid at this level? I think it's awesome. Good. Good for them. Get your bag. Also, Mort Meisner is his agent. Um, and he was quoted in this athletic article pretty much saying that like he's now set the market moving forward for the best managers in baseball. Good. And that is... I've talked about that with Taylor Davis a lot. And uh, I think we've talked about it with Bueller a little bit. Like it is your job as the best player in baseball or as the best at your position in baseball to set the market for your position moving forward. Um, and Craig Council just set the market. So shout out to him. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess the Cubs and I guess Jed Hoyer is hoping that Council can be Joe Madden, where Joe Madden rung the towel drive every ounce of success that was in tampa he got oh so close they lost to philly in the world series he comes to chicago he's given more resources and he wins a world series i think they're hoping the same thing for council because it's a nearly identical situation yeah his manager record 707 and 625 for a 531 winning percentage First year goes 61 and 76 and 73 and 89. Then he rattles off a bunch of mid 80s win seasons, 96 in 2018, below 500 in the COVID year, 290 plus win seasons from 2021 to 2023 with an 86 win season in there. You know, barely any playoff wins, obviously no World Series. Would you? I think he's a great manager. How many years? Since 2015. 2015 so that's eight seasons yeah yeah eight or nine it might have been 20 i think it was nine seasons gotcha so nine seasons um granted one of them was a 60 game season you said a 531 winning percentage Mm -hmm. joe madden had nine seasons in tampa before the cubs hired him 754 and 705 is a 517 winning percentage there you go so um all right first team all mlb first team all mlb We'll do that in a moment, but first, a quick break. First team, all MLB. If you missed second team, all MLB, we're okay with you stopping the podcast and going to listen to the Monday show, but then come back to this timestamp and listen to first team, all MLB. These are the best players at each position. We've got a player at each position offensively. We have a DH. We have a utility guy. We've got five starting pitchers and two relievers. Um, I will give you who we chose for the second team, and then I'll introduce the first team. Cool? Right. Start with catcher, where you had the issue. Second team was William Contreras and the Milwaukee Brewers, who had a five and had a 5.4 F4. Our first team catcher is Adley Rutschman of the Baltimore Orioles. And Adley played 154 games. He had a 5.1 F4. Contreras, a better war. Adley slash 277, 374, 435, 20 homers, 80 driven in, a 127 WRC plus. So William Contreras technically graded out as a higher value defender. He was 0.3 war better than Adley Rutschman. Adley was three points better in the WRC plus department. But the reason that we decided to give Adley the edge over William Contreras is Adley was the best player on the best team in the American League this year. And a team that had won like 20 games for each of the last 10 years, and then all of a sudden had this surprise in 2022 and parlayed that 
into an AL East title in 2023. Adley Rutschman is an anchor. If I'm not mistaken, it still holds. The Baltimore Orioles have not been swept since Adley Rutschman made his major league debut. He impacts the game in a variety of different ways, and that's why he's the best catcher in baseball. Yeah, if you don't count the postseason where they did get swept, but we won't talk about that. It's very early on in the career. Yeah, the reason I was going to be fake upset about going with Adley over William Contreras is I did think, and I think the numbers would slightly back this up, that he did have a slightly better season. He was higher in the F4 department. By all the metrics, defensively, he was the better defender. And he held a slight edge in OPS, but in terms of WRC+, Adley took the cake. I do think Adley, when I watch both of them, Adley is the better hitter. He just is. Now, we could disagree about that, but I don't think many people would. And overall, Adley is still a great defensive catcher. And why I'm so impressed with Adley, and I'm ready to also call him the best catcher in baseball. You got to listen to these Orioles pitchers talk about this guy. Yeah. They are obsessed with his work ethic, the way he controls a game, the way he calls a game. He just seems like the perfect catcher. And ever since he's been called up, he put up a five and a half win season, then a five win season. It's a 130 WRC plus guy for his career right now through two seasons. Why wouldn't he get better or at least maintain this level of production? He's not quite the hitter Will Smith is. He's not the clearly best defensive catcher in Major League Baseball. He doesn't have the speed that JT Realmuto has behind the plate. But one catcher who has kind of everything, that is Adley Rutschman. And of course he's a switch hitter. Yeah. Because it wouldn't be Adley Rutschman, the guy who has everything, without him also being a switch hitter. He had a phenomenal year. And if Ty goes to the guy on the best team in baseball in terms of, you know, a record in the American League, I'm totally fine giving with Adley, but I just wanted to give William Contreras his shine because, man, was that guy great behind the plate. He wasn't quite the hitter that Adley was, but it was razor thin, razor, razor thin. But, damn, Contreras was good, and he's going to be good for a very long time. But Adley is just that guy. So when he was catching, uh, the Orioles pitching staff had a 3.99 staff ERA. Um, I will go find it on William Contreras, but just thinking in terms of narrative, and and it's unfair to William Contreras, but does well, William, William Contreras Con- also had better pitchers to pitch to him, so That's that ERA might be lower. So, like, does Kyle Bradish have an ERA under three if he's throwing to William Contreras? I don't know. Does Tyler Wells have the pre-All-Star run that he did if he's thrown to William Contreras? I don't know. Like, it, it's it's questions that we don't have an answer to and can't get an answer to, but there are there's a certain level of intangibles that Adley, I think, brings that are, are more than any other catcher in the game. I don't think it's a coincidence that when Adley Rutschman steps foot in Camden Yards, ever since then, the Orioles have not stopped winning. That yeah. isn't a coincidence. It's hard to quantify it, right? There's going to be plenty of nerds who live in the basement Dorks. with me in that same basement. I'm also in there. 
Where is it? Is say, it how do you quantify that? How do you quantify them winning? I don't know. I don't have an answer for you yet. But it's clear that something's happening there. And if you can't recognize that, I don't know what to tell you. Are you is that, we're asking where the basement is? Yeah, is it, st- it feels pretty Staten Island. Yeah, I mean, it's it's my apartment. This is my basement. <laughs> or, or do you live in Staten Island? <laughs> That'd be yeah. tough. Um, all right. Hey, First, hey, shout out to Staten Island. That's where I was born. Shout out Staten Island. Shout out Staten Island. Man, go Yankees. If former uh, short season affiliated of the New York Yankees, the Staten Island Yankees. Uh, first base, Matt Olson was our second team guy. Matt Olson at a 6.7 war, 54 homers, 139 driven in. Somehow he was still over a win lower than our first team first baseman. Yeah. Freddie Freeman had a 7.9 war season. Of course, he's the best first baseman in baseball. Played 161 games. Freddie slashed 331, 410, 567. He finished a double shy of 60. He had 29 homers, 102 driven in. Oh, by the way, Freddie Freeman swiped 23 bags and had a 163 WRC+. plus. Yeah. That, that's it. I have no notes. There was nothing that Matt Olson did better than Freddie Freeman this year except hit more home runs. And yeah, he's going to drive in more runs because he's got more guys in front of him. Like Freddie Freeman, for a lot of the year, hit second, right? So the the RBIs are not gonna, going to accumulate like they will on the Atlanta Braves when you hit fourth and you have Ron Acuna Jr. in front of you and Ozzie Albies and Austin Riley. So the RBI discussion, right? If you think Matt Olson is better, you are a Braves fan. Just admit it. You're a Braves fan. And you're excited about Matt Olson hitting 50-plus bombs. And he was amazing. But Freddie Freeman was objectively better in every other category. He's a better defender. He's a better base runner. He had a trillion doubles. Right. So they're not quite going over the wall, but they're four extra bases. Right. It's not like Freddie Freeman, some power inept guy. Like Freddie Freeman had 29 home runs and 59 doubles, 23 bags hit 330. Of course, Freddie Freeman's the number one first baseman in baseball. He has been the number one first baseman in baseball now for, you know, a half decade, yeah. half decade. And I still will remember Blue Jays fans. I remember when you came after me. I remember. It was after it was after like all of us really because it, it was, was kind of a consensus that Freddie was just the only one. Who, I'm just the only one who took it personally, so that's what I'm saying. They came after me. Got you, got you. Yeah, I appreciate your willingness to be transparent about that. Yeah. Um, second team, it was a real like scratching claw to figure out the the second team second baseman. Um, Cattell Marte, Nico Horner, Luis Arise were the original three candidates. But then you remember that Ozzie Albies had 30 plus homers and over 100 driven in. And it's like, okay, well, it has to be Ozzie Albies. But Marcus Semyon is our first team second baseman. Marcus Semyon of the Texas Rangers played all 162 like he does every freaking year. It was really well documented during the postseason. If this guy has a beating heart, he's going to be in the lineup that day. Um, Semyon, all 162, he put up a 6.3 war season. Slash 276, 348, 478, 29 homers, 100 driven in, 14 stolen bases, and a 124 WRC+. plus. But he sucked in the postseason, so I'm out on Semyon. Yeah, he sucked. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he just wasn't that good in the postseason. I don't give a shit. No, he's I, great. Watching him every day, he is just, I mean, he's the ultimate ball player in Major League Baseball right now. You get your lunch, you go to the ballpark, and you go two for five. And he's going to get five ABs every game. And he's going to make an impact on defense. He's just going to do something every game that impacts winning. That's why his war is so high, right? He's good at everything. He's good bat to ball. 
He's got power. He's got speed. He's a good defender. You hear him talk. He's just a delight. He's just a great ball player. Love Marcus Semien, one of my favorite players. Goes under the radar because he's not flashy, but he does everything well. He's a joy to watch. My favorite Semien thing is when he was in Oakland. By the way, started as a White Sox. Uh, shout out Marcus Semien, White Sox era. It feels shout like a fever Rickon. dream, but Sox fans, you are with me. You remember it somehow. Shout um, out Semien, when he was in Oakland, there was a year where he led Major League Baseball in errors, committed as a shortstop. Yep. And then he makes the transition to second base, and he's the best defensive second baseman in the game, probably. Like, And that can hurt somebody's ego. It can. It, it, it can. can. It didn't. He just became one of the best second basemen. That's why he's just he's a ball player. He just shows and, up to the park and does whatever you need him to do at a high level and every facet of the game. And defensive excellence is what gave him a higher war than his middle infield mate, who is the best shortstop in baseball, which is crazy to consider. Not Corey, as many games. Not as many games. But Corey Seager of the Rangers is the first team all MLB shortstop, and Seager is the best shortstop in the game. Now, Semyon played 162, Seager played 119, which, like, he was going to have an eight-war season if he played 162. Maybe not. Um, Maybe nine. Seeger, 6.1 war, slashed 327, 390, 623. Not only did this cat hit 33 bombs in 119 games, but he had 42 doubles, 96 RBIs, and a 169 WRC+, plus, which is the highest among shortstops ever? It's got to be up there. I mean, it's the got to be up there. The A Rod years where he's roided up. <laughs> I'll I'll find it highest WRC plus by a shortstop because 169 needs to be like right effing there. Yeah, Corey Seager. I have we've waxed poetic about this guy for the last month. We did it all year. I've got nothing more to add except I understand why Derek Jeter said that Corey Seager's his favorite player in baseball right now. He said 33 home runs and 42 doubles. Yes. So he had 75 extra base hits in 119 games while playing gold glove level defense? Yes. Yeah, that's our first team shortstop. Sorry. Sorry. Love Lindor. Love Lindor. Going into the season, he was my number one ranked shortstop. He's number two. He just is. I mean, come on. Two-time World Series MVP. Hits 333 bombs. 42 doubles in 119 games. It's just Francisco Lindor could literally not make an error for the rest of his career. He ain't that. Congrats on the stolen bases. This is a different type of player. This is a 300 million plus player. This is a top 10 player in Major League Baseball. He just is. His only critique is staying healthy. That's it. Because he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer if he stays healthy for the rest of his career. He's that good. Now, Lindor will be too. But Lindor isn't quite as good as Corey Seager is, especially because Corey Seager is this great defender. I mean, what? How are you that big, that rangy, and you never make mistakes? Anyone see him make one mistake in the playoffs? One ever? Nope. I think he was the only player in postseason history to not make a mistake by Peter Vision. Oh, good. Peter yeah, Vision. I can't quantify it, but by Peter Vision. I remember a guy having a literal flawless postseason. Flawless. Yeah. 
Um, I'm sure one of you guys can tell me if 169 is the highest WRC plus by a shortstop in a single season. I have the highest WRC plus like in a single season ever, regardless of position. There have been seven seasons that have resulted in a WRC plus over 200. Gotcha. Can you name the people that did it? Are we counting 2020? Uh, we are, but there's no 2020 in there. Oh, there wasn't Soto? Soto didn't no, do it? I don't think so. Soto didn't never had a 200 WRC plus season? Let's see. Well, I know Judge did. Judge uh, did. Since when? Of all time. Bonds. He's done it like probably Bonds five times. Bonds did it four times. Bonds yeah. did it 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004. So that knocks out five four of them. Straight. You're missing two. Four straight seasons? So Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, Soto did it in 2020. All right, 47 games. He had a 202. All right, yeah. so not counting 2020. Yeah, not counting 2020. Um, Judge, did A-Rod do it once? A-Rod didn't do it. 59 home run year? A-Rod did not do it. Something? No, he didn't do it. Um, did David Ortiz ever do it? Uh, Ortiz did not do it. Um, Manny Ramirez, did he ever do it? Oh, shit. I mean, Ruth did it a bunch. Stat Muse is yeah. lying to me, man. <laughs> Just <laughs> Since 1961, since the fucking Maris year. <laughs> We're just, since 2021 who's done <laughs> <laughs> since 1961 um so discounting fucking babe ruth bonds did it four times judge mark mcguire frank thomas frank thomas that's kind of a yeah. fun little trivia question that has nothing I, to do I, with the pot i bet frank robinson had a year where he had like a 190 wrc plus or something he had probably some crazy years i was i was looking at his baseball reference he has so disgusting Disgustingly good years. Would you would just go on your laptop if you're listening to this? Just look up Frank Robinson on Baseball Reference. I know all the all of you know the name, but some of these guys who have like 590 career home runs had some gnarly seasons. Yeah, crazy years. Or they played for like 25 years. Um, Francisco Lindor was our second team uh, shortstop. Third base, our second team third baseman. I tried to shove Isak Paredes on here, but I decided that that would have been silly, and Jose Ramirez was the second team guy. Yeah. But the first team third baseman is Austin Riley of the Atlanta Braves. You remember when we were worried about Austin Riley, like first two months of the year? I was like, hey, what's up with Austin Riley? Yeah, there was a week in May where I'm like, is he that good? Yeah, like, are we sure Austin Riley's the guy? Like, he's kind of underperforming compared to Olsen and Acuna, but Austin Riley in 159 games, 5.2 war, slash 281, 345, 516, 32 doubles, 37 home runs, 97 driven in, and a 127 WRC+. Austin Riley, like, it doesn't matter if he has a bad month because he's going to stand on his head the month after. He is... If I were making a list of like the most fun hitters to watch for me personally, Riley's in the top five there. Number one's Jordan Alvarez for sure, but there's something about just big country boy hitting taters that I am obsessed with, and that's Austin Riley. I do love the way you phrase that. That's that's kind of electric. I mean, everything's country just boys a hitting rocket. taters. I, because Austin Riley would not be on my top five players to watch, but then again, I just lauded. Marcus Semien who's way more boring, but I love him. So I, I get where you're coming from. Um, he is awesome, especially when he's hot. When he's hot, he's like he's that's the thing, like a hot Austin Riley. Who am I watching over a hot Austin Riley? A hot Austin Riley is like better than Acuna <laughs> in terms of offense. Sure. Dude, he, yeah, I mean, maybe not, but he is <laughs> the piss out of the baseball. 
can you imagine if he starts have if he starts performing well before the All-Star break? He did it again. This year, before the All-Star break, 775 OPS. Post All-Star break, dude slash 300, 368, 601. In 2022, why did I think he had a bad? I guess it was the opposite. I got a I made a stupid point, ladies and gentlemen. In um 2022. 923 OPS in the first half, 814 OPS in the second half. I could have sworn he was always a bad first half, great second half guy, but I was wrong. Nah, first time been wrong ever. Ever. He's just ever. kind of gas all the time. Left field, Juan Soto was our second team guy, but our first team guy is a rookie and the guy that's going to win National League Rookie of the Year. Corbin Carroll of the Arizona Diamondbacks put together a six win season, his rookie year. 155 games. Carroll slash 285, 362, 506, 30 doubles. How about 10 triples to go along with 26 homers, um, 76 RBIs, 54 stolen bases, and a 133 WRC plus? MVPs in this cat's future. I highly recommend going on YouTube after you're done finishing this one. Shout out to the people on YouTube at that subscribe button. How about the like button? What about a comment? All that sure. kind of stuff. Sure. Go check out Foolish Baseball's new video on Corbin Carroll and this season potentially being the best base running season of all time over Ricky Henderson. It was an incredible video, broke it down really well using all these different advanced stats to measure base running. You know, how often is he going first and third? How often is he scoring on a double? How often is he stealing bases? How efficiently is it? How is he staying out of double plays? Like, Bailey broke it all down. Incredible video. And I came away from that video agreeing with Bailey that it was the greatest base running season of all time. Not to mention he is a 70 grade defender. What would you give him out there? 75, 80? I, uh, I don't I mean, his arm like, is garbage, but he can get to any ball ever. Yeah. <laughs> I guess like 60, 65 in left. Probably. Uh, maybe no in left he's got he's, he's a really good Center, defender by 60 yeah he's a really good defender and then he hits 30 home runs i mean this guy is going to be one of the best players in baseball for the next decade and a half and the fact that the Diamondbacks locked him up everyone at the time was like whoa that pre-arb deal is enormous but now it would have been an underpay looks pretty been spot an underpay on. oh looks he's so pretty freaking spot on um Plus yeah, 500 Plus 500 rookie of the year. One of the easiest bets that just baseball's ever made in the history of ever. I love that. Um, the Another guy who like, yes, he got paid, but we were asking the question, is are we sure this guy's an all-star? He was a very late ad. And then he broke out in the craziest way, right before the break and then after the break. Our second team center fielder was Luis Robert, but our first team is Julio Rodriguez. Luis Robert put together a five-win season. J-Rod somehow had a 5.9 win season. He was OPSing like 720 a week before the All-Star break. And then he had 17 hits in four games, and it all just kind of clicked after that. I know. <laughs> Julio Rodriguez, 155 games. again, a 5.9 F4, 275, 333, 485 slash. 37 doubles, 32 homers, 103 driven in, 37 stolen bases, a 126 WRC+. plus. He's going to fall backwards and sleepwalk, whichever cliche you want to use, into a 30-30 season every year moving forward. 
with great defense in center field. I'm going to be betting him to win the MVP every year for the next five years. Don't care because he's going to win one and he might win two. And I'm going to get a great return on my investment when he does it. And I'm very confident in saying that when he does it, not if, when. I think this might be his worst season that he ever has, or at least in his, you know, next 10 years in Major League Baseball. This guy, when he is on, is a top five-ish player in the game. Power. Unbelievable. Speed. One of the fastest players. Can get to any ball in center field. Rocket of an arm. Great bat-to-ball skills. He's a five-tool player. He's everything that you would want in a franchise guy. And he just got off to a slow start, right? Still young. Pitchers make adjustments to you. They have a whole season of film, and they try and pick you apart. And then what do the great players do? They make their adjustments. And what did he do in the second half? He became a first-team all-MLB guy after struggling in the first half. He's just different. He's a different hitter. He's a different player. This will be an MVP. I'll be honestly, this is how highly I think of him. I will be disappointed if he only wins one MVP in his career. Hmm. His his sophomore slump, we thought, for the first three months of the year. Yeah, he was a first team all MLB guy in a sophomore slump. Yeah. Yeah. I think think he's going to be a seven to eight win guy for a lot of years. I would say that's crazy, but it's just not. Like that's that's who this cat may be. Tell me what he's even average at. Nothing. He gets hosed Nothing. constantly. All of his strikeouts, it feels like, are are two balls off the plate. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And um, his plate discipline is only gonna improve. The more I'm, reps he gets, the better he's gonna get. He's I'm, just the whole world. Yeah. I'm uh there are two points of worry for me when it comes to a player's success. The sophomore slump is like the common mind one, but my galaxy brain point of worry for players is when they make their first bad commercial. Um, Like Max Scherzer's TurboTax commercials were kind of the beginning of his aging process. You remember those where he was like playing the piano? Yeah. It just, it wasn't a good commercial. And in turn, like his numbers have not been the same. I'm not a fan of the J-Rod T-Mobile commercials. I like I just don't think they're great. I don't he's think not, they're He's got to he's got to get more comfortable back there behind the camera. But like I don't think T-Mobile did a good job like showcasing who J-Rod is. So there there were right. I have some thoughts there, but I'll I'll save them because this guy managed to overcome the first bad commercial curse. It's like the Madden curse, but it's first bad commercial. I have another take about Julio Rodriguez. I think if you put him on the Atlanta Braves, and you put Ronald Acuna Jr. on the Mariners, Julio would have a type season that Ronald Acuna Jr. just did. I think he's that level of talent. mm. Because if you let him run wild, I mean, Acuna was not efficient on the base paths. Like, he wasn't. Uh, He stole a bunch. He got thrown out a bunch. He could kind of do whatever he wanted. It's free thinking. You know, you're leading off. If you could throw him out of second, it's okay, because Ozzy Obby's just going to hit a solo home run, or he'll get on, and then Austin. So he has free reign, and that shouldn't take anything away. Brace hands, that doesn't take anything away from Acuna. What I'm saying is I think if Julio Rodriguez was in the exact same scenario, he has the talent to put up a similar type season to Acuna last year. This is where I'm going to side with Braves fans and where I have to disagree with you. I just, I love J-Rod. Nobody's built like Ronald Acuna. No one. I don't know. 
Acuna played, by the way, that takes us to Ronald Acuna Jr., who is the best one-way player in baseball this year, and he's the first-team yeah. right fielder. Kyle Tucker was the second-team guy. Julio Rodriguez played 155 games. He had a 5.9 more. Acuna played four more games and had 2.4 more wins. He was an 8.3 win player. He slashed 337, 416, 596, 41 homers, 106 driven in, 149 runs scored. I almost never cite runs scored, but this guy crossed the plate 150 times this year in 159 games. 73 stolen bases and a 170 WRC plus. So he was 44 points better than Julio Rodriguez in the WRC plus department. He was 60 points better in the batting average department, 80 points better in the OBP, over 110 points better in the slug. It's really hard to convince me that someone's cut from the same cloth that Acuna is cut from. I don't think there's a, a human being on planet Earth that's going to take 96 on the outside corner from Emmett Sheehan and hit it 121.7. Was that what it was to dead center? I, there's no one like that. Yeah, he's a pretty good player. He's uh, he's one of one, man. <laughs> stand by what I said. Will it happen? I don't know. But I'm going to stand on what I said. But regardless, there's one thing to dream on that potential. There's another thing for that potential. To not be potential because it's fucking happening right now. Yeah, that's a and that's what Acuna did. Holy God! Read it, it again. Read it again. I mean, <laughs> an eight and a half win season hit 340, 41 homers, one hundred and six driven in. He scored one hundred and forty nine runs, seventy three stolen bases, and a one seventy WRC plus. The first member of the 3060 club, the first member of the 4060 club, the first member of the 4050 club, the first member of the 4070 club. And oh, by the way, he hit 337. Unbelievable. Do you and think 121 off the bat? Yeah. Do that you is... think, like, if you had rode the show on rookie or like beginner, whatever it is, do you think you could do this? Well, no, because I suck at video games, but I'm sure someone who's very good at MLB The Show could do that. I think these guys hit like 700 with like this is months. This is the closest thing you will see to yes. a video game season. Yep, exactly. You have Shohei and then you have this. Yeah. And it's <laughs> to be compared to Shohei, you have to have like historic seasons. No, I mean, the Judge only way... 63. The only way Judge beat Otani in that MVP vote is if he broke Maris's record and he did. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder who would win an MVP of the entire league between Acuna and Otani this year. Voters got it. Yeah. Oh, that's so tough. Cause you would probably just have to say Otani, right? Cause Acuna didn't pitch. Right. But didn't like, pitch. but like, but like, <laughs> yeah. Let's get to Otani now. Uh, second team, all MLB DH was Jordan Alvarez. First team is Shohei Otani. As a hitter exclusive, Shohei Otani, 135 games, 6.6 war as a DH. 6.6. You get dinged in your F4 for DHing, folks. You got dinged. 
He slashed 304, 412, 654, eight triples, 44 homers, 95 driven in, 20 stolen bases, and a 180 WRC+. And he finished with, what, a 314 ERA or 316? 314. We had less than five in our prize pick season log. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, 314. I guess it's Otani. (laughs) The... um... Just to bring you back to an instant, um, I bet on the Angels against the Rays on the money line, and it ended up losing. But in that game, Otani, I think, let off the game with a home run or something to give the Angels a 1-0 lead, and then the pitcher for the Angels got hit up. And then it's, I think it's like the bottom of the fifth inning. It's a four to one game where the Rays are winning. And the only way the Angels scored that first run was Otani did whatever he did. I don't know if it was a home run, but it was a double. It was something. He manufactured that run basically by himself. Comes up with the bases loaded. And I'm thinking to myself, I think we're about to see the first intentional walk with the bases loaded since Bonds or since whoever it was. They didn't walk him, and he ended up hitting a grand slam. And they lost that game, I think, seven to five. But he did literally everything. I think he went four for four. And that was the most Angels Otani situation ever. The dude hit two home runs. One was a grand slam, and they lose seven to five. He was a team because he's pitching also. He is a mini team. There's one thing to be Ronald Cunha Jr. just to make so much impact on every side of the baseball, but it's another thing to be a team. Like, Otani is a team. When he signs his contract, he should get owner's stake. He should get equity. They should rename the team after him. He is a team in in itself. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball, one of the best hitters in baseball. You may never see it again. MLB Trade Rumors put out the, what, contract projection for Otani. It was like 12 years, 528 or something. Yeah. It's I think that's about right. I think it's undervaluing him. Yeah, we'll see. I'll um, give him a billion. Utility mentioned Cody Bellinger on the Monday show is the second team utility guy. The first team utility guy is the best player that we haven't named yet. Mookie Betts of the LA Dodgers. Mookie Betts is a utility guy now because he hopped in at shortstop when he needed to, and he played a high level of second base. And Oh, remember he's a gold glove right fielder wherever the Dodgers needed him. And they needed him everywhere because they were decimated this year by injury. Mookie Betts showed up and produced an eight and a half win season, 152 games, 8.3 F4 slash 307, 408, 579, 40 doubles, 39 homers, 107 driven in 14 bags, a 167 WRC plus best all around season that we've got. Yeah. You know, when I didn't want to use the term ultimate ball player for Semyon, I was like, he's just a great ball player. He's not the ultimate ball player though, because Mookie Betts is the ultimate ball player. Yeah. Perfect in everything. I just wish he hit in the playoffs. Damn it. <laughs> but, you know, short series. What are you going to do? Short series. Perfect baseball player. When you look up baseball player on Google, Mookie Betts comes up. Perfect. And Brian Reynolds. Don't forget about Brian Reynolds. Yes, and Brian Reynolds. <laughs> and Kyle Higashioka. Yes. Um, <laughs> all right, pitchers. We're going to speed it up a little bit. Um, you know, Somewhat rapid fire. 
I'm going to give you the name. I'm going to give you the numbers and then my prevailing takeaway, then your prevailing takeaway. Cool. First team pitcher, our first one, best pitcher in baseball this year was Garrett Cole with the New York Yankees. Garrett Cole, 33 starts, 209 innings. He was 15 and four with a 263, a whip under one, nine and a half Ks per nine, 2.1 walks per nine. Garrett Cole was the best pitcher in baseball. He is the most reliable pitcher in baseball, and 324 for him is entirely worth it for the Yankees. Yeah. Best pitcher in baseball. I mean, we're going to have the argument in the offseason when we do top 10 pitchers and all that kind of stuff. I have an argument for someone else that I want to save for that. But the answer to the question of who is the best pitcher in baseball should be Garrett Cole. He had a home run problem last year, didn't this year, and that was the difference. Horse every fifth day. Yankees went 82 and 80. It was a really disappointing season, but they would have gone 70 and 92 if they didn't have Garrett Cole, arguably the most valuable player in baseball, obviously not, but the Yankees would have lost so many more games if he wasn't on the hill every, every fifth day. Dude, like I, I know that you like Cal and Bybee, but like they are not the one and two best pitcher in baseball, like Garrett Cole. That's mm. the, those are the two guys that you want to make a case for, right? You have your opinions. I have mine, you know? So those are the two. All right. Yeah. I mean, obviously. Noted. Um, other first team guy, he's going to win the Cy Young in the National League. Blake Snell of the San Diego Padres. Snell, 32 starts, 180 innings at an ERA at 2.25, a whip at 1.2. You say, huh, those numbers are kind of close. Uh, a 3.44 FIP, 11.5 Ks per nine, five walks per nine. I was pounding my desk saying, a guy that walks five hitters per nine should not win the Cy Young. But at the end of the day, he had a 2-2-5 ERA. And he was nails down the stretch. He won the Cy Young in the second half. Um, he was the best pitcher in the National League this year. Life is about perspective, Jack. Instead of worrying about the walks, why don't we applaud the man for walking a guy every inning and still never allowing runs? That's the thing. We They are in the business of run prevention. And he was the best run preventer in baseball this year. Yeah, you watch a Blake Snell start, and he strikes out the first batter. He walks the next one. He either get a double play, lazy pop out, and he gets a third out. The guys aren't scoring. They never did. They're out the entire season. Now, he's going to be a free agent. He needs some things. He needs a pitcher's bark, and needs a great defense, and needs a great defensive catcher. So I'm hearing the Phillies are like the name or the team that's the most connected to him. Citizens Bank with that defense. And it is better defense now. So maybe that could end up being a great fit. But I think San Diego is like kind of the perfect spot for him. Great defense, huge park on the West Coast. I think that's a good spot for him. I, I think he should stay, but I'm interested to see where he goes this offseason. You know who fits that criteria to a T is Arizona. There you go. To a T. Yep. We'll see if he wants to do the division thing, and we'll see how much money they want to throw it at Snell, who, again, like has blowups. But we're learning that you can have blowups and still do it. Yeah. Third guy is the one that we were begging to run through the tape and win the National League Cy Young. 
unfortunately couldn't run through the tape as well as we had hoped. But Justin Steele was the third best pitcher in baseball this year. Justin Steele of the Chicago Cubs. 30 starts, 173 and a third innings. He was 16 and five with a 306 ERA, a 117 whip, a whip or a uh, FIP at 302, struck out a hitter per nine, walked under two men per nine. That fastball, man, <laughs> fastball slider, like it's just going to get you. Yeah, one of my favorite episodes of this year was when we were talking with Lance Brozdowski, um, who does great work for like 70 different things. Um, Marquise is big one. Watch Marquise. Yeah, Marquise is his big guy. one, but he's been on MLB Network. He's just been on so many different things, and I just I think he's fantastic. And the way he broke down Steele's pitch mix, you could tell it's just a pitch that nobody sees out of the hand. That it's just right. It's not reading ninety eight on the gun. It's not super electric. Sometimes you're left after watching a Justin Steele start. Like, how did he do that? How, when I'm watching a Justin Steele start, did I take a nap and it's the sixth inning and he's only allowed one run? Like, what happened here? But he's so methodical. Pinpoint command. And the fastball cutters, whatever it is, they just can't see it. And it's so much weak contact. It's so cool to see a pitcher like that who isn't lighting up the radar gun be one of the best pitchers in baseball. Yep. Bingo. Next guy is Kevin Gosman with the Toronto Blue Jays. Kevin Gosman, FIP King, got 185 innings and 31 starts, a 316 ERA, whip under 1.2, a FIP under three, 11 and a half Ks per nine, two and a half walks per nine. That's what this cat's going to do every year. He's going to strike out a bunch of guys. He's not going to walk a bunch of guys. He's not going to allow home runs. And that's kind of the recipe for mastery. Three true outcomes are a thing with hitters. And this is the perfect mitigator to the three true outcome approach. No, he's like the best analytical pitcher in the game, right? Yeah. By These far. Analytics, analytics judge you on what you can control as a pitcher. You can control not always, but how hard the ball is coming off the bat, right? There are certain pitchers who are very good at inducing soft contact. You can control how many walks you allow, your strikeouts, and keeping the ball within the ballpark. Kevin Gosman does all four of those things at an absolutely elite level, and he will be at the top of most lists every year because of his ability to do so, with arguably baseball's best pitch. His splitter is not from this planet, yeah. right? It's like if you put Devin Williams' changeup in a starter's arm. It's just unhittable. Now, there were, there were games this year where Kevin Gosman did not have a good start, but those came once every two and a half months and you're like whoa that was weird and the next start he throws a shutout the issue is and i can just cannot believe that this continues to happen this is not just some made-up narrative the blue jays do not score when he's on the mound he ranks among the lowest in major league baseball and run support over the past like three years ever since he signed with them they just don't show up offensively so like he keeps going like 14 and 10 i mean it doesn't matter about wins and losses but if the Blue Jays scored for him, he'd be a 20-game winner every year. For a year. But they don't have four. But that's not his fault. There were three guys in the first or second team were actually cited record in the write-up on JustPaceball.com. Um, and it was Garrett Cole, who was 15-4, and four, Steele, who was 16-5, and five, um, and then Gallen, who was 17-9. and nine. I'll cite it for Strider as well, who was the last guy on the second team, who was 20-5. and five. Um, But that's... Strider won 20 games this year? Strider won 20 games. That's sick. 
Yeah, like it's kind of cool, <laughs> right? Cool. Wins yeah. are kind of cool. Remember Kyle Wright won 20 games? Yes. Pretty awesome. Oh, brave. Someone's uh, going for Kyle Wright, man. Feel for Kyle Wright. What was uh, what was Gosman's record? Okay, so Strider was 20 and 5. Kevin Gosman was as baseball reference loads for me. Kevin Gosman, noted mm-hmm. LSU Tiger, was 12 and 9. Yeah, see, what is that? It's a five. Honestly, maybe I'm not a Kevin Gosman guy. Win some more games. Win the you damn hate game. His ass. <laughs> a guy who is technically a 500 pitcher this year, I think. I think it was 14 and 14. And and check this for me while I run through his numbers. Sonny Gray of the Minnesota Twins. Thank God he's first team all MLP. I had so much fun watching Sonny just spin teams to death this year. Sonny Gray in 184 innings across 32 starts, a 279 ERA, a 1.15 whip, a 2.83 FIP, striking out a hitter per nine and walking two and a half per nine. Sonny was so good using everything but a fastball. He, of course, mixed in a fastball in the low to mid-90s, but like slider, curveball, cutter. Like, it was the kitchen sink at everybody from the jump. And this guy has aged like fine wine. And I'm not scared to pay him at all. I hope that a team that I watch consistently pays him. Because, hey, if he doesn't sign with a team that I watch consistently, I have a new team to watch every fifth day. I can't get enough of watching Sonny Gray throw the baseball. He might have had the best season of a pitcher with a sweeper. And what I mean by that is his sweeper might be one of the best overall pitches in baseball this season. He threw it 576 times, four extra base hits against. Four doubles, no home runs. Opponents hit 097 with a 135 expected to be a 118 slugging percentage with a 41% whiff rate. That is an ungodly pitch. Yeah, he went 8-8. Eight and eight. Yeah, 500 pitcher. Win the game. No, I mean, <laughs> Sonny Gray was a joy. Um, and I kind of underrated him in the regular season. And then once the playoffs came in, I kept whenever Sonny Gray was pitching for the Twins, I'm like, oh, yeah, they're going to win this game. Yeah. And I was like, wait a minute. You're like picking the Twins and Sonny Gray in like every game that he pitches. And then I, I, it's like I had to come to realization moment. I was like, you didn't, you didn't say he was one of the best pitchers in baseball during the regular season, but you knew it. He just built and capital just never throughout said the year. It. Yeah. So when it came to actually picking it, I was like, yeah, Sonny Gray. But then I was like, why didn't you give him more praise in the regular season? So I, I underrated him this year. You I did tried. try. And I was always like, yeah, like, just keeps doing his thing because it was always five innings, one run, or six innings, one run, and, you know, five or six Ks, but just did it every fucking game. <laughs> you do that 30 times, you're going to get some accolades. Exactly. It, unbelievable season. Unbelievable sweeper. Deserves to be in the top five. I'm going to push back on Gosman having the best pitch in baseball because the best reliever in baseball this year was Felix Bautista with the Baltimore Orioles. Not Warriors. counting relievers. Not counting relievers. Okay. Because yes. in a vacuum, Felix Bautista's splitter is the best pitch in baseball. That thing is disgusting. Hmm. Felix Bautista this year, 56 appearances. He saved 33 games in 61 innings. Bautista, by the way, went eight and two. Uh, but Felix Bautista had a 1.48 ERA, a whip under one, a FIP under two, struck out 16.2 hitters per nine, and walked just under four hitters per nine. Is the splitter not the best pitch in baseball? No. Uh, 
It's up there. It's up there. 60% whiff rate. Holy shit. Yeah. No, but here, like for example, opponents hit 122 off a splitter this year. Opponents hit 097 against Sunny Gray Sweeper and threw it five times as much. All right. That's what I'm saying. All right. Like, I'll hear but it. in terms of watching that thing drop off the table at 89 miles an hour when it's paired with 100 at the neck, looks like it. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, how in the world does anybody hit that? But I think Yohan Duran would like a uh, a word on some of these best pitches in baseball. But yeah, that's why I'll I said hear the sweeper, that. Sunny Gray sweeper might have been the best pitcher in baseball this season, but, I mean, Felix Bautista... When the game came in, it was over. I mean, people knew that. And it just so, sucks that he got hurt. Sucks. Bautista also, I love that he started walking out to the the wire whistle um, yeah. from Omar. Like, that was hard as hell. But Menacing. Bautista, 100 at the top of the zone at 2,400 RPM. And then he would have the splitter at 90 at 904 RPM was the average. That I mean, thing yeah, didn't not. spin. It was just a 90-mile-an-hour like knuckle, pretty much. No, I think the only way people are hitting that is if you're sitting on splitter and he like hangs one middle because like you cannot catch up to the fastball. So like probably older hitters in Major League Baseball are like, I think the only chance I have is actually the splitter. Yeah, And they'll just sit on it the entire bat. They might not see one, and then they strike out. But if he throws one in the zone, like a 2-0 count, and they like can get a hit off it, that's the only way you're probably going to get a hit. Because if you're sitting fastball, and that thing's coming in at 89. You can't tell out of the hand. It's gone. Like, you're just not going to make good contact with it. And if you do hit it, it's going straight into the ground. He's awesome. He's the best. He's awesome. He's just, and he's so menacing. And he's I like feel, Jordan as a, hit, as a pitcher. Bingo. And I feel so bad that he's not going to be able to throw for them in 2024. So heal up, get is ready it, for 25. Is it, is it the whole season? I mean, it, Tommy John. I know. Yeah, oh, this sucks. sucks. Yeah, yes, it does. The Achilles and ACL thing with quarterbacks and TJ this year with pitchers just sucks. Uh, second best reliever in baseball this year. I know that he left a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths in the wild card series, but Devin Williams of the Brewers was the second best reliever in baseball this year. Devin was automatic for Milwaukee. 61 appearances, 36 saves, 58 and two-thirds innings. This guy had a 1.53 ERA, a whip under one, a FIP at two and a half, struck out 13 and a half per nine, and walked four and a half per nine. That changeup deserves a seat at the table, too. But this guy, I, I don't know, in like his first true year as the full-time closer for Milwaukee, looked like the second best closer in baseball. Yeah, his changeup got better somehow from last year. Um, opponents at 185 against the last year. Uh, this year they had 097. Okay. Now so same fast- as Sonny. Yeah, his fastball did get worse, though. Opponents hit 090 against the last year and 177 against it this year. That's so true. he is, he's kind of, he, I'm not even going to make a joke. Like, it's not funny. Devin Williams is not funny. This dude's all business. He's good at everything. Uh, his walk rate's a little high, so he's not perfect. It's fine. But he's damn close to it. Um, the reason I like Devin Williams so much, too, is not only does he have incredible strikeout stuff, 
whenever you hit the ball up Devin Williams, it doesn't go anywhere. He's a guy who in four straight seasons has sustained a hard hit rate under 30%. So what does that mean? Well, this year he was in the top 4% of the league. Last year he was in the top 1%. The year before he was in the top 3%. And then in the top 7%. So a normal Devin Williams AB is a weak ground out or a strikeout. You're lucky to get walked. You're just not going to hit the ball hard. So the way to get to Devin Williams is, is his command on or off that day. Because if it's on, it's over. If it's a little off, you could get a runner on. You're still not going to score, but it makes things interesting. But that's really it for Devin. Is his command there or not? Fly ball rate against him is always hovering around 25%. This year was at 22.5%, which is excellent. He throws his change up about 60% of the time. It's got a whiff rate of 40% and an average launch angle of five degrees. So when guys do hit it, they swing over the top of it and they just kind of graze it into the dirt. Um, and they never lift anything against him. Nope. So, yeah, no notes. That's our first team. What an episode. And it's all brought to you by BetMGM. But if you wouldn't mind, you got some Just Baseball merch in the episode description for all those watching on YouTube. Hit that like button, subscribe button, comment button, all the buttons. Just click them all. And if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, if you could leave a five-star review, we would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Pushing on all this off-season content. And what's more to come? MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, Manager of the Year, the Just Baseball Awards. We'll also have some niche ones thrown in there. Stuff that'll make you laugh, something that'll make you angry. We do it all here. And we want all the criticism. But make it constructive. Yes. Or just compliment us, because I'm you know, feels good. Feels yeah. all warm and fuzzy. That's Jack. I'm Peter. The three of us are going to be back on Friday. And with that, thank you.